Welcome back to the Andrew Curtis Show. Today, coming to you live from beautiful Pakaranga, um, and I wanted to introduce you to somebody. I like to be as aware of the new people that I meet as I can be, because I feel that everybody has a story they can tell. But equally, some people's stories have even more in them for us. And when I met Gabrielle, I knew she was one of those kind of people. She has an incredible attitude of gratitude about her life. And that might sound like a simple thing, but from the outside, it's easy to think of reasons why she shouldn't be so grateful. Um, I don't want to tell her much of her story for her, so uh, I just thought immediately I needed to reach out and see if she wanted to be a guest on, on the show. And she graciously said yes, and so Gabrielle joins me now. Hey, Gabrielle. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me in your home. Yeah, no worries. So I think the first thing that impressed me uh, about, about you was the, the gratitude that you actively look to nurture. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure if you want to start on that front or talk about, you know, the reasons why you've, you know, you've mm. found the importance of developing that sense yeah. of gratitude. So where would you like to start? I, um, back in 2000, I had gotten put into emergency theatre um, and had six lots of neurosurgery in eight days. And back then... I was living in Wellington. Mm -hmm. um, after I was rehabilitated, I ended up having to move home. I went back to university, crashed. And um, it was then that I first realised that I had a choice in this life, that I could either choose to be happy or choose to be self-pitying and down all the time. And so long before what happened recently, I had chosen happiness and realised there was a choice. Mm. And it's the same with gratitude, that a lot of things happen in life that we have a choice with. You have the choice of choosing to look for the positives mm. and focus on those, or you sink, <laughs> basically. And a lot of people fall into self-pity or depression, and, but it's a matter of kind of conscious, being really conscious about standing back and going, OK, this has happened, but and then looking at what you have to reflect on that you should be grateful for. Mm. And, I mean, you mentioned too you've, you've had some other health challenges since that um, first round of neurosurgery, which mm. we will talk about in a moment. But if I can go back to that initial experience that you had, and mm. as you said, the what was it, 10, 10 rounds of neurosurgery? No, six lots. Six, six lots, lots in eight days. In eight days, yeah. that's what it was. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned that you realised you had this choice. Did that come to you straight away no, or was there a challenge? No. Yeah, tell yeah. me about that. Um, I went back to university after those surgeries against six doctors of wishes because they all knew how serious this was. I had no memory of it. Wow. And so I Do you mind if I ask what the yeah. actual reason was for, for the surgeries um, I had a shunt block. Okay. And a shunt of the pipe in the brain yeah. that drains to the stomach. Okay. And um, because my, where my tumour was, it blocked the ventricle in the brain, so fluid could get in but not get out. Okay. So that blocked, and they tried to remove the original shunt that had been put in there in 94, mm. and that caused brain hemorrhaging, brain clotting, several many disasters <laughs> over yeah. eight days, and... Um, I had family come home from Tanzania, from who on holiday there, and people coming from all over the world, so I wasn't expected to actually make it through. Because mm. you mentioned, yeah, there'd been a, an earlier brain tumour diagnosis, would you say, Yeah, 94? that was 94, yeah. In 94. And wow. they thought that I'd had that possibly for 7 to 10 years then. Mm. Wow. Mm. Wow. 
Okay, so let's, as you say, you, you know, so you've been through this, you've gone back to university, mm. um, and at that point, you kind of hadn't had this, I guess, epiphany could be a way mm. to describe it, about the importance of choosing. you got to realise I sank when I came home. It wasn't an actual, oh, keep positive. <laughs> yeah. It was realising, you know, it was rock bottom going, okay, this being home is my reality. And the thing was that home for me was Waiuku, mm-hmm. and all of my friends were in Palmerston North and Wellington. Right. And I associated home with feeling depressed, not having a life in my mind, not being with my new friends, all these negative things. And... I initially crashed when I moved home, but I realised, well, either I can stay here, miserable, mm. stay here mentally, or I can choose to be happy. Mm. And my goodness, there's four more, uh, four more lots of surgery to come, and I'm so glad I chose gratitude. Mm. And then in '02, I had radiotherapy, mm-hmm. which essentially saved my life. Um, yeah. They hoped, I only found this out 18 months ago, they hoped that that would give me five more years in 2002. Mm-hmm. So no matter what happened, like what I'm now experiencing is because I have way outlived what they predicted. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been told by neurologists that when they blitz the brain with radiotherapy, they have to do it so forcefully that it kills cancer. And it essentially really affects the brain around it. Mm. So I have hardened brain arteries, and they call them leaky brain cells in the brain. Mm-hmm. But um, these brain bleeds. So I had one, just had the anniversary on February 8th last year, mm-hmm. and um, then another one in September. Mm. Mm. So that that time period when you were first, you know, f- first back at home, and you know, you mentioned that mm. you sank. Like, how how long were you in that state of mind for that? that I can't state? remember to be honest. Yeah. Like the, those early days, I can't clearly remember. I did a lot of artwork to help me get through. Uh huh. Um, and yeah, that really helped me just to see there was a. Um, I did a piece of writing called "Living in the Now" because mm-hmm. I realised that. No longer, I couldn't walk ahead if I had my foot longing to be back mm. in my past. Mm. And so if I was going to move forward, I had to live in the now. I had to let all that past, all, all those things, not not the friendships, yeah. but let that life go because it, I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. And learn to live in the now. Yeah, mm. it's. I mean, it's it's a phrase that people use as a bit of a throwaway mm. these days about being present. Mm. But I think there is some wisdom to that, and it sounds like that's a similar place that you came to. Mm. And I've come to again. Yeah. Since these strokes last year, I've got to the point of going, okay, I can't think too far ahead because my brain can't cope with that. So I just. Yeah. Be present, live in the now. And it's it's challenged because you wonder when the healing is going to come. You wonder when your brain's going to get back to normal. But if you if you reframe it and get so that you're living in the present, you're not worrying about the mm. future mm. or the past. Mm. And so, yeah. Mm. I suppose it, it also, when I listen to you, it, it makes me think too that it, it makes you acknowledge that 
you don't have the power over those things exactly. anyway. Like you can't, you can't change the past. Exactly. And, yeah. And that's that's a big thing because I mean, when I had this first stroke, um, none of my doctors or me mm. <laughs> realised what was happening and that this is what was happening, the mm. stroke, and that now um, the like for me, I thought when I was told in 2013 that I no longer had any malignancy in my brain, mm. I thought, fantastic, no longer have a brain tumour. Mm. But actually, I was wrong. The cancer had died in it, mm. but there is a little bunch of cysts, pilocytic, and those cysts are now wallabulating. Because, mm. you know, when I got diagnosed in 94, they thought they'd been seven to ten years, so mm. they're very old. Yeah, those right. cysts have got wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, there's some medication to prevent them, hopefully, bleeding again. Yeah, mm. yeah. So then you mentioned, we, we talked about that initial moment where, you know, you'd crashed and, and made that choice for yourself. And then, so the, the gap between that time and then when you mentioned having these strokes as well, how, how long was that? Gap between what time, sorry? So you'd mentioned, you know, when you'd first, uh, you know, you'd had to go home to Waiuku and... 2000, like yeah. 2000, right. And then, so these strokes that you'd had... Um, so... We're talking 17 years. 17 years. <laughs> no, well. no. Great friend, 2019. So I had them last year, 18 years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But um, I had surgery, so I had radiotherapy in 02. Yeah. And then in 04, I had to have surgery again for the same thing I'd had in 2000. This mm. isn't blocked. Mm. And so they did surgery where they went from the top of the brain to the base of the brain, mm-hmm. punched holes, <laughs> essentially. And. Um, yeah, and saved my life. But there was a big chance with those that they would block. And yeah. I'm so fortunate that they haven't. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But um, so I then, from 04, so it's when I had those surgeries, mm. then in 06, um, they found what they thought was a drop tumour uh-huh. cells on the back of the brainstem. Uh-huh. But thanks to health insurance, I got, was able to have it three months earlier than the public system. Uh-huh. And they got in there and found they were hemorrhaging blood clots. Oh, goodness. Mm. Okay. And so, yeah, that was quite major. But um, by that stage, I was 50 kilos heavier than I am now. So okay. I was actually morbidly obese by 06. Yeah. But um, I worked out on that cross, I have a little cross trainer, mm-hmm. worked out on that daily, and my heart was so fit that I got, they said it undoubtedly helped me in mm. 06. Mm. So, mm. 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 All right. Well, I think we've kind of unpacked the, the, the challenges quite neatly for people now. Um, but that's obviously not the main part of the story that I really want to focus mm. on, although I think it gives it a bit of context. So I really just want to hear from you. You know, you mentioned about that, that choice of choosing gratitude every day. Mm. And, and I think it's important, well, when I listen to the story anyway, that that, that was a place to, to journey to as well. Mm. Like you didn't just wake up no. one day and went, well, this is terrible. I know what I'll do. Mm. And, you know. Not at all. Yeah. It was a journey. So tell me, tell me a bit about that. Well, if you wake, wake up in that way so many mornings, you get to a point of going, well, I'm actually the only person that can change my attitude on this. Mm. I can't make my... Because these things that happen weren't in my control, just yeah. like these strokes. Um, I have... A brain that's been hacked at 12 times and had radiotherapy, and um, I thought I was well. 
Mm. When I met my husband, we did this course working on neuro-linguistic programming. And, mm. um, I can't think what the word is, um, but it changed my life. Mm. And so I thought I was well. I genuinely thought I was, we were on the up and up. Mm. <laughs> and then February 8th last year, the stroke hit. That was just, yeah, extremely challenging. Um, I couldn't, I hope you can't detect it now, <laughs> but I couldn't speak to be understood. Um, mm. I rang up because we were, I was in Middlemore and they couldn't, uh, waiting on MRI, but I have a good relation with my specialist, my oncologist. Mm. So, and his room, so I've been going there for nine, I was 18 years in, and I rang them, they could understand my name, but nothing else, so someone else had to go to the phone. Wow. I couldn't speak to be understood, and yeah. so, yeah, it was extremely challenging, but it was, I mean, that was six weeks before my wedding. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. And I prayed that I would have a voice to speak, give my vows, and that yeah. I would be able to walk down the aisle and eat it, apart from with my father. Yeah. And he's he's 79 this year, and he's, he's a bit wobbly as well. So I was just <laughs> like, there was a lot of prayer just down the aisle, just focus on the end. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and let's talk about, you know, your husband as well, Daniel, who I've had the privilege of meeting as well. And mm. Kenneth is, he's a great guy. Mm. So you've done well. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> um, but so how did how did this affect him as well? Mm. Not sure. <laughs> well, he he was, I, my parents supported me, hundred mm. percent. Took me to appointments, mm. and were always with me and there for me, mm. and they were sort of with me hundred percent of the time. Whereas support with Daniel has been completely different because mm. Daniel works 14-plus hour days mm. and he's working with cancer patients, looking at, not patients, sorry, at samples of mm. blood from cancer patients and his firm looks at the genetic component of the cancer. Mm. And so um, I remember one day I was a bit, when I was in hospital with that stroke and he said he was going to come. First thing in the morning, and lunchtime came, and I said, he's a little bit behaved. <laughs> I was just saying, where is he? And then um, he came mid-afternoon, and I think it was right, and then he told me of, well, he got to work, and there was a 17-year-old's case of a brain tumour mm. that came in that needed to be diagnosed. And I was just like, how can I be ungrateful when he is dealing with someone who I was? I was that patient. I was wow. the 17 year old waiting on that result. Mm. So, yeah, I'm a bit upset and lonely here. But I, the support I felt from Daniel, and even in his physical absence, mm. is quite incredible. Yeah. And so being able to talk about these things at any time, it's, that's an amazing thing. Mm. And tell me about that support network as well, because you've spoken, obviously, about your family and, and about mm. Daniel as well. So what, what role did other people play in this? Because you mentioned that you had to take responsibility for your own thinking and your own feeling about this. But it does do you also... mean when you say this, do you mean the stroke? Well, the stroke, well, that, but also I think the the process you went through mentally, I suppose, in terms of, you know, being being down about things and then choosing that, mm. okay, these, these bad things have happened to me. Um, well, back in 2000, the... Um... There, I wasn't texting, Facebook didn't exist. Yeah. There was the emails. Right. And so I felt very, very alone. 
yeah. for a long time, really. My, yeah. my social group was my family. Mm. But, um, yeah, in 04, I started going to a connect group at the church I was at and got to know some people, mm. and so that's good. But um, my faith, to be honest, is the main thing that's kept me strong over the years. Yeah. Um, I'm a Christian and have very strong faith in Christ and in God, and for me... The verse, verse in Psalm 139, 16, um, says along the lines of that God went before you. He knew before you were born. Mm. He had every day of your life planned. Mm. And I, that, I held on to that verse back in 94, mm. but again in 2000, that God already knew this was going to happen before mm. I was born. It's a huge surprise to me, mm. but... It has not surprised him. Mm. And that has been a huge thing to me in the with these strokes as well. Mm. And that um, this is not a surprise to God. This is, I mean, these strokes totally. I mean, I've been well since June 2015. And so these were just, they were a gracious shock. Um, but knowing that God already knew about it long before I was born, and that wasn't a surprise. This was not a surprise to him. It's like, well, he's already equipped me to cope with this. Mm. And, yeah, gratitude didn't, again, didn't come immediately. Mm. That's in reflecting on things that it comes. So probably the most appropriate time ever to use this phrase, but I'll play devil's advocate for a moment. <laughs> so how do you then reconcile the fact that, you know, you mentioned you have this strong faith, uh, but how have you also uh, reconciled that with the idea that, you know, believing in a loving God who would let these things happen to you or could perhaps at the snap of his fingers but, make everything better? But the thing is that purpose is a huge thing. That I have felt that, well, I've had, not had to, but something I have chosen to believe in and that the Bible talks about blatantly is mm. that we each have a purpose. Yeah. And this is just, in inverted commas, my purpose, that God has, has a purpose in this. And this happening, I don't know what that is. Mm. My family, Daniel, none of us know what that is. Mm. You know? But trusting God that he has a purpose and a plan and things that happen. Mm. So really, because for me, it keeps me going. Mm. Mm. What have, have you had moments, though, throughout this journey where you can point to moments of purpose where you can say maybe it was for this or for that? Not with the cancer journey or the stroke journey and meeting my husband, absolutely. Yeah? But, um, Tell me mm, about that. Um, a friend told me about this um, event that was being held by Dave Riddell. Mm -hmm. That was the Singles Day Out and... I, I'll just rewind a bit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Three months before then, a friend of mine took me out for coffee. Yeah. And she asked what I was doing for my career was my singing. Yeah. And I've been sending promo packs everywhere. And she said, well, why are you doing that? And mm -hmm. I said, well, how are people going to see me and hear about me if I sit here with my hand up going, hi, <laughs> I'm just singing. And she said, well, it's great that you're doing that for your career, but how are you going to meet someone? Uh-huh. And well, no, no, sorry. What are you doing? Um, what steps are you taking to meeting someone? Do you want to meet someone? Yes. She said, "Well, Gabe, 
you come to church with your parents, you go to a female-only home group, mm. connect group, and you sing in old folks' homes. <laughs> She's like, your prospects aren't that great. I don't know. There's a lot of wealthy, eligible old bachelors in an old folks' home. I mean, if that's your goal. No, it's not my no, goal. Right. Trust me, I had plenty of old guys <laughs> hitting on me. I had a guy asking me um, what I was doing that night. And I was like, hey. And, oh, okay, um, go for trying. Anyway, yeah. carry on. But um, so after her taking me out and saying that, I sort of thought about it and talked with God about that. And then before I went to bed, the words Luke 11 mm-hmm. came to my head. So I had an iPod that had the Bible on it, so I looked up Luke 11. Mm-hmm. It was knock and the door will open, seek and you'll find, ask and it all will be given. It was mm-hmm. kind of like, is that, okay, I'll take that maybe as mm-hmm. confirmation. And then the next morning before I opened my eyes, the words Mark 7 came into my head. I looked that up in my iPod Bible Knock and it all open, seek and you will find, ask and it will be given. I then um, took that as a sign as such. Mm-hmm. I went online for three months. I chose to see a counsellor, a good friend of mine, who's an amazing counsellor. And I didn't physically meet anyone. At that time, I couldn't drive at a pocket uh-huh. due to pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but after three months, I'd had more attention from males than I'd had in my life. <laughs> and it changed my perspective hugely on my own sense of value and sense of worth and that I didn't need to settle for um, just a single person because they're single, got to grow them sort of thing. <laughs> but um, when that subscription to find someone, I think it's called, yeah. um, was running out, I said to my friend counsellor, you know, what should I do? What do you think? And she said, well, look, there's this event coming up the Save Riddell Singles Day Out. Uh-huh. Why don't you go to that and then look into um, going back online afterwards, just see what you think of it. Sure. And so I went to that and a friend of mine, a, a mum, came with me and my pain was really bad. I wasn't going to go. I had my own chair. I was high maintenance now. <laughs> um, and so I went there and there were... 37 females and five males. And so the prospects, yeah, weren't that great. <laughs> and I sent, um, and there's a morning tea, a casual morning tea. We're told a few days before, you know, just bring a change of clothes from the, for the casual morning tea and lunch to see me for more dinner. Mm. And my girlfriend and I said to her, this put so much pressure on her. I wasn't even thinking that. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was this. But anyway, um, in the morning tea and afternoon tea, I did not meet Daniel. Mm. At the din- dinner, they had four courses. Mm-hmm. And for the first three courses, the appetizer, the entree, and the main. I, first of all, I had a 71-year-old, bless her soul, come mm. in, sit opposite me. Then a 21-year-old, I can't remember third, but then I got up and sat down next to Daniel mm. at the dinner. And... One of my deal breakers was that a guy had to be the same height as me, at least. And I met Daniel sitting down. And How tall are you, just for the record? 185 centimetres. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but the thing was, the reason I held that belief was because of the way um, short men had always treated me. Yeah, They'd sure. been threatened by my height right. and felt they had to put me down. Oh, okay. And um, I labelled it short, shorter than me, a male syndrome. Um, well, small man syndrome is a well-known phenomenon, <laughs> so it's fair enough. Yeah, and um, I heard it from high school. It was quite unreal. Yeah. But 
when we got up at the end of the dinner, because I assumed we were the same height because he was so incredibly respectful and kind and and I kind of got up expecting our eyes to meet and he wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked down and saw he was there. But, um, but on our first date... Um, I asked him how tall he was, not that it mattered. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so irrelevant now yeah. because it was, we connected our hearts. I realised that the size of someone's heart yeah. is what matters. Yeah. And Daniel and I connect in incredible ways, but then on the other hand, I have wondered... We are so different. <laughs> How do we connect? And, um, yeah, amazing. Got married last March. Yeah. Mm. And how, you know, with, with the health challenges that you experienced in the, in the lead-up to this as well, was that mm. ever part of your discussions about your, your life together? or Do you mean potential calling it off? Well... I don't really know how, mm. how it would have come up, but um, yeah. I guess that's just the thought that crosses my yeah. mind when you've got you've had serious health challenges and things like that. How much that's a part of the discussion? Yeah, is it part of the well, discussion? it didn't get discussed. Mm. Daniel was just there. Wow. And so it wasn't an issue in the slightest, mm. um, which was an amazing thing for me. Mm. Before we were married, I knew that Daniel was there for a bit. For sickness and health, wow. for better or worse, and so yeah, it was it was a, a blessing to know mm. from the start. Mm. So yeah, it was a challenge, but I, there are so many things. I mean, since these strokes, there have been I've just been reminded time and time again, but again by my own brain, not by other people, mm. just how much I have to be grateful for. Mm. Because looking back ten years, what about you, twenty eighteen? Yeah. Probably more than two years, but I couldn't have fathomed mm. that I'd be this well on the one hand. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I was so sick. I, I just spent each day in bed, really. Mm. I was only up for a couple of hours. Mm. And it would have been unfathomable to me to be now married. And I, I did have a fantastic career, yeah. but that's very much in the background. But, um, yeah, it's been a challenge starting marriage on one income. I mean, I am now, as of last week, legally allowed to drive. Uh-huh. But I would not do it because things are so hugely cognitively challenging. Sure. And you don't realise how many brain functions are involved in certain things until you lose all brain function. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go to do things that, would normally be easy and they are an enormous challenge so yeah, yeah yeah so let's then talk about those things that you mentioned you realize you have a lot to be grateful for and mm -hmm. i know when you say that you don't mean it in an abstract sense like absolutely you, you not. genuinely thought about specifically Ab what these things are absolutely so why don't you tell me what some of those things are then the fact that i'm alive mm. i was they hoped i would live to 2007 right <laughs> so you know because when i had radiotherapy no two my mother remembers um, being told by one specialist they hoped the radiotherapy would give me five more years. Mm. And there were a lot of risks with the radiotherapy. I've recently come across journals um, 
or writing from when we made the decision. And it was it was a difficult decision, was the radiotherapy, because we were told the tumours aren't growing yet. The cells aren't growing. Mm. They are showing signs that they're activating and they will grow. Mm. There are no side effects now, but if you leave it, there will be and they will be irreversible. Mm. And I learned that you go where peace goes. And so I had radiotherapy. By that, I mean, mm. if you have a sense of peace with something, mm. you know it's okay. That's how I learned to make major decisions. I was offered radiotherapy in 1994. Mm. I went away for a week, I think it was. And my dad felt they should be doing what the doctors say, but I felt strongly I was not meant to have it. Mm. When I did... So I didn't have it then. When I did have it in 02, they said to me, oh, thank goodness you didn't have it in 94, because it was actually found that that radiotherapy then caused your type of tumour to grow. And that is when, that was the first instance that I learned to trust your inner feeling. Mm. And I learned I only go where peace goes. Mm. And I've let God guide me through peace over the years. Tell me about the balance of that too, because there's, I, there's something I've learned a lot about only in the last few years that you mentioned on the one hand you know when you're going through certain s- situations you get overwhelmed with negative feelings and suddenly yeah. realizing wait a minute I'm mm. I'm creating these mm. and then also to learn though that there is a utility a positive utility mm. to how you feel mm. so how do you make the distinction I'm not quite sure what you mean sorry well Look, there, there might not be a straight-up answer for this, but I guess I've observed, maybe it's just speak for myself, right, that it's easy to get trapped into a pattern of, of negative negative thinking and negative feeling about about stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's very disempowering and, and, you know... It's a matter of learning, for me, a really big thing has been learning to mentally do a huge stop, mm. a stop sign coming up and choosing, realising it's crossroads. Right. And having to do this time and time again, going, mm. do I want to dwell, no, to head down this pathway, mm. which is negative thinking, poor me, this isn't fear, right. everyone else is living a good life. <laughs> you know, you, can, you and people do this, where, oh, they, yeah. where they just get trapped in this and you just get into a spiral. Yeah. And I did a piece of artwork back in 2001 called The Upward Spiral of Hope. Wow. And... The reality is that the only thing that can take you out of that despair is hope. Mm. And for me, it's hope in Christ Mm. and in a faith that God is with me. God knows. He knew that not only knew this was going to happen, he knows what is going to happen. So it's kind of a case, because these strokes have been completely out of my hands, Mm. of trusting the unknown God, the unseeable God, mm. with the unseeable future. Because the reality is I can't do any, predict, you know, we can't predict that it's going to happen. Mm. And so, yeah, I have no recollection of what your question was. <laughs> that's, that's it went a pretty good place anyway, so that's all good. Why don't, why don't we go back to then the, those things that you're specifically grateful for? Oh, that's um, right, that's right. Yeah. So um, prior to... The stroke in February, I okay, rewind even further. When I met Daniel in 2015, I could not walk more than 100 metres due to pain. Mm. 
as I mentioned, we did this course in June 2015 that just completely transformed my life. Mm. And I went from barely being able to walk 100 metres to building up to do a 5K event, wow. Staniel's an athlete, mm. and very into running. Um, I then built up to a 10K event and then in 2017 set the goal to do a half marathon. Mm. Loved that so much. And this is walking, power walking, not okay. running. Yeah. Um, that I did a second one in December 2017 and I was due to do my third when the stroke happened in February. Mm. It was three days later and I was trying to, in my un-understandable voice, argue with the doctors and nurses, <laughs> saying, I've got to get out here. i And they're saying, um... <laughs> You're not doing the half marathon. I have trained for this, <laughs> and, and so I couldn't actually speak to you. Understood? I could not walk very far, but I was damn well doing that half oh, marathon. Unfortunately, um, Daniel did that for me. Mm. <laughs> I didn't do that one, but I entered two 5K events in August and September. And one of them was the weekend before my stroke in September. But the point is that before I met Daniel and before we did the lightning process course, mm. I wasn't up talking very far at all. Mm. You know, I had chronic, prior to 2015 and doing the lightning process, I had chronic pain throughout my body. I lived each day surviving as such, where the pain was going, according to where the pain was. Mm. I mean, how can I not be grateful that I don't have that pain anymore? Mm. And um, I was single all my life before I met Daniel. Mm. And then I met this amazing man who I have in my life. How can I move into self-pity when I have that incredible support, incredible husband who's there with me, that I have so much joy with? How can, mm. you know, and I'll be There's just so much to be grateful for, but it is a matter of just making yourself step back because when you're actually in a situation and things are happening and doctors are coming around and things are overwhelming, it's easy to get, to get swallowed by that. But you actually have to consciously step back and look at what you have to be grateful for. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's been um, a lifeline for me because, yeah, it's a challenge. The cognitive function with my brain still isn't right. And that's really, really frustrating <laughs> and challenging. And, but, my goodness, every day I just remind myself I have so much to be grateful for. Mm, mm. I love that. I, um, I guess I've approached it a very different way, but for me, particularly to think about where we live now, because I'm, I'm a, kind of a student of history and, and uh, you know, I love to know what's kind of happening in the mm. world. And even to think, you know, to live to live in a country like this mm. in a day like today, mm. uh, I mean, even say for yourself, it's possibly more clear because if you had had these same health challenges mm. even only 50 years ago, mm. I'm game over. I'm so fortunate. And yeah. I mean, they now have chemotherapy for my type of tumour, which they didn't in 94. Yeah. But they didn't want to give that to me. I think it came out in about around 2006. Yeah. But, no, it was later in 2006. So it was quite well. And the doctor said, mm. you know, you're so well, we don't want to set you back. Yeah. And chemotherapy can majorly yeah. set you back. So. Yeah. I think one of my favourite um, 
I guess, factoids was um, hearing, you know, people talk about Rockefeller, you know, one of the wealthiest men in the world and, you know, 1900 and something. And uh, saying, you know, even the most middle class of people today has a better quality of life exactly. than the wealthiest man in the world did 100 years ago. Yeah, it's so incredible. I mean, yeah, we are so fortunate. And that's something that Daniel and I often reflect on, you know. Yeah. We don't live in a mansion, but... Yeah. We live in our own home yeah. in Auckland, the horrific one million dollar home, Auckland. Uh, but, you know, there's just, yeah, we love it. We're so fortunate. Yeah. So two things I'd like to get to then um, is that, first of all, what would you say to somebody who is in a, observes himself in a similar kind of challenge right now? What would be the specific thing you'd say? And then the one extra thing that I'll get to before we wrap up mm. as well is, how we can support somebody else who's going mm. through that kind of a challenge as well. Mm. So first off, for somebody else who might be listening to this and experiencing their own particular mm. unique brand of challenge, yeah. what would you say to them? Firstly, to turn to God yeah. and, then, and pray. Mm. Have a connection with God. Have a connection with Christ. Like for me, my days here are <clears throat> on my own and they're long. Mm. But... I have a connect- I'm talking all the time with God mm. and having that companionship and that um, support, mm. you know, pray is one thing I would really like to encourage people to do mm-hmm. and to try, not try, but to get a connection with the eternal God. Mm. Mm. And what about for those who are, you know, friends and family of somebody who is going through yeah. something like that? Um, just be there mm. and just be if you're talking to that person be a supporting yeah you may not understand what's going on and that's the challenging thing for me is that I know mm. that I've got one friend who's had neurosurgery and had um, particular shunt neurosurgery mm. and she went through a, a Difficult stage with when just after she got married with cognitive challenges, mm-hmm. and her husband, who's a farmer, didn't have any idea what she was talking about. So, just um, but it's case of just being there. So, if you don't under if someone is supporting that person, don't belittle their saying something that you don't understand. Mm. Just stay there as a friend, stay there as a family member, and but stay there, I mean, your presence, stay there, don't abandon them, be there mm. for that person, but um, respect that they will need rest, respect that they may need things that seem very strange, mm. <laughs> but yeah, just be there with that person. Because for me, something that I have learned in that, in that respect as well is that it's, it really isn't about what you can say in mm. moments like that. Absolutely. I think that was a thing for me that, because it, it comes from a place of wanting to help. Yeah. You want to say the thing yeah. that's going to make it all okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a tricky one. Yeah. Well, that and, it, you know, I have often found that it's in the times where I felt like I need to say something that I say something that's not helpful at all. <laughs> right, right. Um, as opposed to, I mean, the the... The genius, I suppose, of literally just being in the room. Mm. I think it's really important, yeah, just to be there mm. and to not offer advice, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. 
and to not... One thing that I've learned through these strokes that um, I know my friends have said it to me in love, mm. and so I remember with the first one, it hadn't mm. even crossed my mind until a friend said to me, you don't think the tumour's grown, do you? <laughs> oh, my word. That brought on such anxiety and fear. Yeah. Cause, and so don't necessarily voice your worst fears. Right. Because you can have them, mm. but keep them to yourself. Because the person who's gone through something doesn't need to hear your anxieties mm. about it. Mm. Just be there. Mm. And that can be silent, mm. or going to a movie, going for a walk, or just going and hanging out with them and sitting with them. Yeah, mm. yeah. What about... Um, I'm trying to think how to put this. When you see somebody who's down, mm. the instinct is to tell them to cheer up. Hmm. <laughs> um, now, what I find remarkable and a distinction I want to make too is that you realize that that was a choice you had to make for yourself, kind mm. of from the inside yeah. out. Yeah. But if I'm kind of from the outside mm. trying to help you mm. perk up, yeah. telling you to cheer up mm. is a kind of a mixed strategy. I was strategy. about to say, it does not work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really tricky. Um, yeah, I don't know with that one because mm. I've never been in the supporter role, to be honest. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But certainly words like get a grip. Yeah. Harden up. <laughs> things like that. They're the worst possible scenario things to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically you, as a friend, you may not understand what is happening, but just... I mean, I've said several times, be there. Mm. Still mm. contact them. So don't necessarily be, I mean, I know it's a temptation just to talk continually, mm. to try and fill that void, but just be there as a friend, take them out for a coffee or something, but mm. respect that they will need rest. Mm. 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 Well, Gabrielle, it's been wonderful talking to you, and I'm really grateful for how open and transparent you've been about your journey there as well and I think too for for people who are listening right now to know that 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 act of gratitude is a choice and mm. it's the kind of thing honestly I feel like I'd probably have to re-listen to this whole thing myself as well I've to just seen the same it. thing <laughs> <laughs> yes my memory is so fantastic that I, I look forward to re-listening to it because I have no idea anyway it'll be, it'll be a discovery for both of us yes yes Awesome. So, look, for you, for you, for you listening right now, um, I want to thank you for choosing to, to take the last 40 minutes or so to, to do so. And I want to hear your thoughts as well. So, um, actually, two things. One thing would be to send through some feedback to me, which you can do via the Andrew Curtis Show at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment on, uh, on the Facebook page as well under where this is going to be posted, uh, facebook.com slash the Andrew Curtis Show. Um, but the third thing, and I don't ask to do this a lot, but in this case, I think it could be just a, th just a ticket, is that if you know somebody who has a gratitude challenge in their life right now, could you forward this to them? I'd love to know what they think as well. It, it may well just be helpful. And if it, if it helps people to unlock the power of gratitude within themselves, then that's part of why I do this podcast as well. So anyway, I want to thank you again for listening. Thank you again, Gabrielle, for being part of the You're show. You're welcome. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years.